And welcome to another edition of The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. This is Dr. Z, Dr. Eugene Zamperone. I'm so happy to be sharing this uh, great information with you. Dr. Kamai, the natural nurse, has the week off, and we're here with some interesting guests, uh, some people who I respect so much, uh, Lara Pizzorno and Dr. Joe Pizzorno. We'll talk about them in a bit. But remember, you can always get more information about uh, myself and Dr. Kamai's up-and-coming up walks and talks and lectures and fun shops, because we don't like to work <laughs> at... Uh, naturalnurse.com and of course drznaturally.com. <clears throat> so our topic today is on osteoporosis and we have with us uh, Lara Pizzorno and she has many degrees and is the best-selling author of Your Bones, How You Can Prevent Osteoporosis and Have Strong Bones for Life. She's been a writer for a long time. I've followed her and read about her. I know she's even a researcher on Boron, which I remember reading her article and using it in my classes that I teach at the University of Bridgeport College of Naturopathic Medicine. And uh, she's also a member of the American College of Nutrition and has been a contributing author to many textbooks in natural medicine and functional medicine. And um, she is um, uh, this author, the uh, author of Healthy Bones uh, with her husband, Dr. Joe Pizzorno, who probably doesn't need much introduction in, in my circle because we're really honored to have him on. He changed my life by starting Bastyr University, which led me to become a naturopathic physician and come back east and kind of get this medicine really established here. He's um, the author of more than a dozen books, including the textbook of natural medicine, clinical environmental medicine, the encyclopedia of natural medicine, the toxic solution. And he's uh, on the boards of many different organizations and was point, appointed by President Clinton and Bush to um, lead government commissions to advise Congress on the integration of natural medicine into the healthcare system. And now he's traveling, consulting, lecturing, and teaching doctors still, maybe not in, in a college level, but about science-based natural medicine. Welcome, folks. Thanks for getting up early out there in Seattle Greg. for us. Thank you. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Great. Yes. Great to be with you again, Dr. Zamperian. I so remember you as a student. Thank you. I always loved your integrative therapeutics class, Joe. It was always my favorite waking up there and learning all about the applications. You know what I learned? I think the most important Thing that impressed me as a student is that there was a lot of science that explained natural medicine. It, it was just uh, amazing if you really apply yourself and look at the at the science. And I know you were one of the uh, you know founders of the college and really tried to bring that into the whole crux of of some awesome you know information that was started by founding fathers like Lynn Lahr and Luce who kind of set the groundwork of naturopathic medicine. But why don't you just explain to people what that is? Well, I think the bit. easiest way to describe naturopathic medicine is as a way of, people think of it as a healing art, but a better, more accurate way of looking at it. By the way, are you getting an echo? Yeah, there's a bit of an echo, yeah. It did not help. I tried reading myself. 
What else do you want? Okay, to do? I'm going to move over to Laura's microphone so we get rid of the confusion. Oh yeah, that sounds better, Joe. Right, yeah. Great. Okay. So, while people think about naturopathic medicine as a healing art, I think it's more accurate to describe us as a way of living and being in the world. Because we naturopathic doctors believe very powerfully in the body's ability to heal and that our primary role is helping people understand why they're sick and not become healthy. And as I've been looking at, you know, <laughs> you think about it, I've been practicing medicine now, I mean, I've been involved in medicine now for literally over half a century. So I've had to, have to watch what happens. And it's so clear to me. The body has tremendous ability to heal, but we must give the body the nutrients that it needs. And now we have to be way more uh, careful about all the environmental toxins we've been exposed to. We're suffering the highest burden of chronic disease ever in human history, in every age group. Something's seriously wrong. And what's seriously wrong is the understanding of health as evidenced by and practiced by our medicine has not been adequately understood, appreciated, or utilized. My belief is that the only solution to healthcare crisis is our medicine. I totally agree. You know, we have to give the body what it needs and remove obstacles to cure and, and make the uh, enrich our blood and move the blood and kind of like what Lindlar talked about. Um, but now, of course, we have all the science that, whereas the, the elders uh, really didn't understand the science. It wasn't even there. Even getting into our topic today with osteoporosis, I remember going to school reading some of the basic nutrition books that didn't really have a great understanding of the role of vitamin D. You know, they said it was maybe important for some things. And of course, the RDA was a lot less, but we've, we've grown in leaps and bounds with the, the understanding of vitamin D as more of a, I think vitamin is a misnomer. Would you agree, Lara? Yeah, we, no, we, you know, we, we only discovered vitamins about 100 years ago. So we're cranking right along. There's a lot of research now on vitamin D. Um, and yes, it is critical for bone health, which I think most people appreciate now. Yes, and um, now we know it's like a, a steroid and, it, and there's receptors in the body and it orchestrates a, a milieu of, of anti-inflammatory effects and anti-cancer effects, kind of uh, orchestrating the genes to turn on and turn off. It's very complex. And, and, uh, but let's go back to what osteoporosis is because it's a misnomer. People think it's a calcium deficiency and the doctors still prescribe Tums. Uh, right, there are, there's a whole team of nutrients that are involved in bone renewal and calcium um, is a major one, of course, but there is also magnesium is, um, has to be balanced with calcium and is incredibly important. And there are a bunch of trace minerals that are very important. And then there's of course, vitamin D and it needs to be balanced by and works with vitamin A and vitamin K2. And you need the whole team on the field or the play is not gonna work. So it's much more complicated than one, one or even two or three nutrients. Yeah, it's a, I, I kind of diagram it out like uh, how Dr. Bill Mitchell used to teach in my class still. And we see really interesting um, phenomenon like the acidity of the body and absorption it's like the old saying you are what you absorb right not just what you eat and then also yeah. hormones playing a role and 
and toxic metals and other persistent organics and lack of exercise and movement and um, sunshine and even even stress kind of making you seem like you have Cushing's disease, you know, kind of because you're living in such a fight, flight or flee response all the time. So uh, I like the fact that you your book is just so holistic and touches on so many different aspects of of the you know the whole interplay orchestra what's going on there including looking at our food and and nutrients and exercise but in medicine and conventional medicine they tend to just use certain drugs like the bisphosphonates and some of the newer drugs like prolia and things like that which i guess ramp down inflammation so why not just do that? I'm just playing devil's advocate, of course. <laughs> because, well, a couple of reasons. Uh, the the, the anti-resorptive drugs, the bisphosphonates like Fosamax and Veneva and Reclast and um, Prolia, which is uh, denosumab, it's called denosumab, it's the technical name. They work by preventing osteoclasts from doing their job, which is to remove old, unhealthy, brittle bone so that new bone can be laid down. And if that, if you don't take out the trash, there's no room to put down the new bone, but it's, it's actually quite a bit more complicated than that. Um, the activity of osteoclasts, the, the cells that resorb old bone, is what activates the cells that build new bone. Those are called osteoblasts. And when the osteoclasts remove the old bone, they actually liberate tons of growth factors that are in the bone matrix. And those are what feed the osteoblasts and what attract them to the area to rebuild. So if you shut down the osteoclasts, that never happens and you do not rebuild. So what happens is you accumulate old crummy bone. And then after a few years, um, you step off a curb and your hip breaks. It's, it's not an effective way of dealing with the problem. It does not deal with the reasons why people are losing bone. And there are many of them. And that's what we tried to cover um, in the book. Uh, we tried to explain as many of the things that can cause bone loss as possible and what you can easily do about them simply by living a healthy lifestyle. So why are there changes in the DEXA scan when people use these drugs? And why is medicine using that as the, the gold standard of whether you're doing well or not? Which, of course, is, is not really true. But I'm just kind of, again, throwing it out there so you could uh, elucidate it for the listeners. So there are changes because instead of clearing out old crummy bone, you just keep it. And so that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the accumulation of old bone. Now, the DEXA score um, within the last five years or so, um, a new type of analysis, you know, uh, screening analysis has been developed called a trabecular bone score or TBS. And that is now being combined with the DEXA um, in many hospitals, uh, many, many more of them overseas than in the U.S., but it's, it's finally here and it's spreading across the U.S., and what the trabecular bone score shows is the quality of your bone. So, you know, it's not just how much you have, but whether it's healthy or not. Okay, so the DEXA score is going to tell you quantity. 
It's going to tell you how much bone mineral is present. It's not going to tell you if that bone mineral is in a healthy matrix, if it's well-connected so that it's not fragile. That is what TBS tells you. And what they're finding is that the bone drugs cause an increase in bone mineral density and a decrease in bone quality. Yeah, it's like I was out there doing some tree work on my property and there's there's dead branches on a tree and live branches on a tree. If they fall and hit you on the head, they'll, they'll kill you. <laughs> They're both heavy and, and dense, but there's no vitality in, in one of them. And of course, the dead branch versus the life. So I, I like the fact that we're coming to the point where we could kind of um, differentiate the two with different uh, lab technology. Uh, what about the idea that bone is is like a living tissue? Yeah, it, it's. It, I remember some of the old time. My teachers said that uh, bones and nerves and cartilage seem to be the the things that repair the slowest, but you can repair them. But what about the idea that bones are made out of both cells and minerals and also collagen too? That's something that we didn't talk about. Collagen. How does that play a role in in bone health? Well, first thing, um, first thing I'd like to say is that bones are incredibly active. Every 10 years, and in some people as early as every seven years, your entire skeleton has been renewed. Um, unless, of course, you're taking one of the drugs that prevents that. But um, bones are very, very active throughout our lives, and we should have healthy bones throughout our lives. Um, also, you know, think about this. Bones, they're finding that, that bones are actually an endocrine organ. <clears throat> and the body is incredibly intelligent and efficient, um, far more than we are. Uh, and its bones are spread throughout your body. So bones are an excellent place um, for things to be messaging. And bones are interacting with all the other systems in your body all the time. So they're, they're very far from inactive um, hangers for muscles and skin. Yeah, well said. That's, that's very true. They, I mean, they may, they may turn over every seven years versus your skin turning over, you know, or GI tract. I guess that's what the old timers were saying, that those things turn over very quickly. But yeah, there is a big turnover and you can heal these things and um, so let's talk about um, some of the rundown, some of the causes of osteoporosis that you talk about in your book. And we have first genetics. So what are some what are some of the genetic proclivities to having osteoporosis? I mean, we can see that people of lighter, uh, you know, you go back to ancient times, whether it's Ayurvedic medicine or different constitutional medicines, they could predict almost who would have bone loss by their frame and their before they knew about genes, they just kind of knew it ran in families, you know, lighter framed uh, people tended to have more air in their bones, osteoporosis folks, for more porous bones, more air. Because when you look at the bones, you can see the air actually inside the bones, it's less dense. And that I guess is what the Ayurvedic people call Vata disorder. But anyway, so that they developed a way of living to kind of deal with those types of things. But when you look at the bone, you can see that it certainly runs in families. So what have you found as genetic causes, Lara or Joe? 
So, so you did before Laura answers that, and she, by the way, <laughs> has very thoroughly studied that. <coughs> Sorry. I want to kind of step back and make a philosophical comment, and I, I suspect you're going to really appreciate this with me. One of the big seductive problems of drugs is you seem to get good results when you look at the short term. So, and, and this thing with osteoporosis drugs is such a classic example of both the benefits and the risks of drugs. So in the short term, wow, the x-rays look better. They're more dense. When you dive into the physiology, as Laura has, has done, it shows, yeah, for the short term, it's, they're more dense. But what's happened is you've sabotaged the normal remodeling process. So as you said, you keep the damaged bone in there. You don't put it in good bone, so eventually the bone gets weaker and breaks. And this is so true in so many of the drugs. Short-term benefit, long-term, you screw things up. Okay. Now, I'm not saying drugs are always wrong because, of course, sometimes you definitely need them. This is not anti-drug. It's rather using drugs instead of restoring health. And that's where the problem is. Yes, very true. Yeah. I mean, they are part of our therapeutic order in naturopathic medicine, but they kind of are. I, I find them, they're kind of like duct tape that will help keep your muffler up while you get to the shop to get a real repair. But that's not, that's not what happens. People just get on the drugs and they, the doctor, whether they're allopaths or osteopaths, whatever, they don't have that deep knowledge of, of what's going on with the, the true pathophysiology, I don't think. And they certainly don't have a lot of nutritional training, but um, yeah. So thank you for revealing what uh, that about the bones. So what are some really important things people can do for their bones first? Like do, you want, office. do you want to hear about genetics or? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, sure. No, no, that's fine. Um, so I, I can, I could talk for a whole hour about <laughs> genetic uh, problems that increase someone's susceptibility to bone loss, because I have of every single one that I've looked at and there are about 30 of them that are, um, very impactful. I have them all. Mm. And I have the, the type of SNP that is the, the worst, okay, that destroys bone renewal the most effectively. Um, probably the first one uh, we investigated, which is extremely common, um, is the, are the SNPs that are involved in the formation of the vitamin D receptor. So there is, there's a receptor for vitamin D on all our cells, because as you mentioned, vitamin D does so many important things for us. And if that receptor isn't formed properly, then the vitamin D that you consume or you produce in your skin from exposure to sunlight <clears throat> gets into your bloodstream, but it can't bind anywhere because the receptor for it isn't working. There are four different kinds uh, at least four different kinds, uh, but the major ones, there are four of them. And there are variations in how the receptors are made. Well, I have the worst version of all four kinds. So that was, you know, that was the first thing that, um, that started us on my return to health about, it's been about almost 30 years now. Um, and uh, do you want me to talk more about vitamin D receptors or should I move on to some of the other Snips. Sure, I think it's important. I mean, I don't know. Can we change those receptors by? No. Um, so no, we you can can't change them. But nope, we can you... actually optimize nutrition so that we can uh, bind most of them. I would assume. Yes, you totally can. Um, there are other enzymes that. So I when the first thing that 
we did when I discovered that I was losing my bones um, and I was in my early 40s. So it was well before menopause. And by the way, every woman, um, everybody that I knew about in my family had broken a hip and died earlier than she should have. So, you know, I'm I'm married to Joe Pizzorno. I'm extremely healthy, or at least I thought I was, and um, living a very healthy lifestyle, exercising, eating properly and so forth. And so we were quite shocked um, when we discovered, it was frankly kind of embarrassing when we discovered that I was rapidly losing bone about age 43. Mm-hmm. And um, we started giving me more vitamin D. Now, back in the day, uh, the recommended amount of vitamin D that people were supposed to take was 400 IU. I needed over 10,000 IU daily to even start to get my vitamin D levels up to anything resembling a normal level. Um, all our friends said that I was going to turn into a pillar of calcium, you know, a, a modern version of Lot's wife, um, <laughs> but it did not happen. And I very, very slowly started to rebuild my bones. Um, kind of the next big genetic thing we looked into was um, vitamin K2. And you have to have vitamin K2 on board if you want to not just absorb the calcium. Vitamin D will help you absorb calcium. It does nothing to tell your body what to do with that calcium once it's in your bloodstream. And you want it to go into your bones. You don't want it to go into your arteries or your heart or your kidneys or your breasts or your brain. Okay, Those areas are not supposed to be calcified. So what you want is there are enzymes that make sure that calcium goes into your bones. And there are other enzymes that make sure that calcium does not deposit in soft tissue. Those are activated by vitamin K2. And if you don't have K2, they do not get activated. So that is, that is the reason why you, you've, I'm sure you've seen research saying, don't take calcium supplements. It's going to cause a heart attack for you. That's why because K2 was not present. Um, it's not a, a nutrient that is readily available in reasonable amounts in the Western diet. Um, the Japanese who eat natto get lots of K2, but in the Western diet, um, there are very tiny amounts available in a few cheeses and in eggs, um, but that's about it. And we really don't get enough. So your intake of calcium needs to be helped by vitamin D so that you can absorb it. And then it needs to be regulated by vitamin K2 so that that calcium goes where you you want it to go. And there are SNPs that are involved in our ability to uh, produce vitamin K2 and to recycle vitamin K. And um, people who, there are drugs that interfere with with that. Um, For example, warfarin. So people who take warfarin are, you know, they have to watch their vitamin K intake. They have to be careful how much even leafy greens they consume. And those just contain vitamin K1, which is involved in clot formation. But if you consume enough vitamin K1, and I mean, you really have to consume a lot, then your body will convert some of that K1 into K2, and that will help you uh, use calcium healthfully. So that's um, and we don't make any we don't make any of that K two by our bacteria living in our colon and but we will make small amounts of a type of K two called uh, the MK seven menaquinones uh, I'm sorry menaquinone four right. form of K two mm-hmm. 
our, our intest- if, if our intestines are healthy, which is, you know, in the United States currently, that's, that's questionable. But if we're eating properly and our intestines are healthy and we have lots of healthy bacteria in our intestines and we eat a ton of vitamin K1 rich vegetables, then we will have some leftover. The, the, and then those healthy uh, probiotics will convert some of it into K2, but not a lot. Not a lot. So, yeah. So it's, you really do need to take a K2 supplement unless you are eating natto, which I think is accessible um, in some areas of the U.S., but it smells like dirty gym socks. It's the stringy, gelatinous kind of gross stuff. I, I tried it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I have to take a supplement. I, I literally, you know, became nauseated when I smelled it and could not consume it. But um, many people obviously do. Um, it's, you know, very commonly eaten in Japan. So um, that's one of the issues with K2. Uh, so people have different SNPs, different genetic inheritance that affects how quickly they're able to recycle vitamin K. And a, a way to find that out is if someone is taking warfarin, um, they will need a higher dose of warfarin because they very quickly try to reestablish their vitamin K levels. Whereas people who would need a lower dose of warfarin have the type of enzymes that are slower. And, and that's a genetic issue. Fascinating, yeah. yeah. What about exposure to uh, toxins? Dr. Pizzorno was talking about that before and uh, how, I guess, depending upon a little bit of genetics and nutrition, your body may not be able to get rid of these toxins outside the body and they become persistent in the body. Those, those of course, I think you have a chapter three, heavy metals poisoning your bones. Chapter two in the book, toxins hiding in your food, destroy your bones. Those are like uh, sinister words. <laughs> yes. Well, it's true. So, I, up until COVID, I was uh, flying about 100,000 miles a year lecturing on environmental medicine all over the world. And I'm t- teaching doctors. I, I, I mainly lecture doctors these days. But I'm showing doctors the research documenting that all these chronic disease epidemics we're having, not just in adults but in children as well, is primarily due to environmental toxins. Uh, so, for example, look at diabetes epidemic. And when I was in naturopathic medical school half a century ago, diabetes affected less than 1% of the population. It was rare to see a diabetic patient. Now it affects 10% of the population, and the projections are that one out of three people in the United States will have diabetes in their lifetime. What happened? Well, it did, we're not consuming more sugar, so that doesn't explain it. We are way more fat. Well, that helps explain it. But when you look at obese people and look at the level of uh, diabetes in obese people with low levels of toxins in their fat versus high levels of toxins in their fat. Obese people with low levels of toxins in their fat don't have increased diabetes. Whereas obese people with high levels of toxins in their fat, 60% of them already have diabetes. So let's talk about bone. So what's happening here is that particularly these heavy metals interfere with bone metabolism in many ways. And something I was really quite uh, interested in, as Laura was uh, diving into the physiology of bones, and she said she'd asked me about one particular area, or she mentioned another area. I'd say, well, well, that's interesting. Not only is that important for bone, but that's important for the kidneys, or that one's important for the heart, or that one's important for the brain. And I was realizing 
that all the physiology necessary for the bones to work properly and grow, regrow the way they're supposed to applies to everything else in the body as well. So these environmental toxins are causing all kinds of trouble. So let's look just at one. Let's look at cadmium. Cadmium, by the way, accounts for about 20% of osteoporosis and about 10% of fatal heart attacks. Okay, so you can see it's really important. So what's the cadmium do? Well, in bones, there's many things, but the two that are most important is number one is it poisons the osteoblasts so they can't regenerate the bone properly, but also it poisons the kidneys. So kidneys are very efficient at getting uh, cadmium out of the blood. It does it within a few days. But when the cadmium gets into the kidneys, it gets stuck there, and the half-life of cadmium in the kidneys is about 16 years. So in the kidneys, it causes progressive damage to the kidneys, and as the kidneys become damaged, they become, le become less able to convert vitamin D into its most active form, the um, uh, uh, 125. 125-dihydroxy yeah. of vitamin D. So the, and that's just one toxin. I go after toxin after toxin after toxin showing how it messes up physiology and that affects the bones as well. Where, where do people get the cadmium, Dr. Pizzorno? Well, the sad news is the primary source of cadmium are two. Number one is smoking. Um, I've, uh, I've done lab tests. I've tested metals on thousands of people, and I can easily identify the smokers because their levels are twice as high as non-smokers. Mm. But having said that, for most people, because most people don't smoke anymore, most people, it is processed soy products. Wow. When soybeans are grown with high-phosphate fertilizers, those high-phosphate fertilizers are contaminated with cadmium, and the soybeans pick it up. And so when people consume soy products that are full of cadmium, well, guess what? The cadmium goes into their bones as well. Non-organic soy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. Please specify that. Soy is a really helpful food if it's grown properly. But you don't want to eat the conventionally produced soy. I've actually seen in my practice aluminum be a big problem with the bones. Um, and I know aluminum is in processed cheese and a lot of... I just had a discussion with a patient yesterday about... She emailed me, is this deodorant good or, sorry, is this antiperspirant good? And I'm like, well, no, it has aluminum. <laughs> it's not good. So uh, we're putting a lot of pretty poisons on ourselves, as I call them. <laughs> yes, we are in so, many, in so many ways. And not only are we putting more poisons into our food and our air and our water and health and beauty aids, but we've now also sabotaged many of the protective mechanisms we need to uh, get these things out of the body and protect us from damage. I, I just I gave a lecture at, uh, last week at AIHM, that's the Academy for Integrative and Health Medicine, uh, one, of the, one of the most uh, respected organizations of integrative medicine in the country. And my lecture was an uh, update on environmental medicine. And I was updating the most current research on arsenic. So arsenic causes a lot of disease, like one quarter of cancers, for example, and about five to 10% of fatal heart attacks. And I mean, disease after disease. What I found fascinating was that the, the key enzyme for detoxifying arsenic is called AS, AS3MT. Okay, not, not important to know the name of the enzyme, but that enzyme converts toxic arsenic to non-toxic dimethyl arsenic. Interestingly enough, that enzyme works better in the presence of flavonoids. Well, the problem is, as we've gone from growing foods organically to growing foods chemically, the foods have less flavonoids. 
So these other molecules that we need to make sure our enzymes are working properly, get rid of these toxins, they're not in the diet anymore. Interesting, yeah, important. Wow, this is interesting stuff. Now, what about things like uh, pesticides and, you know, plastics? I know you wrote about BPA and, and plastics. We know that they're messing up our hormones, but they seem to have a big interfering factor with osteoporosis. Yeah, uh, great point. So my other uh, lecture, so I did, um, my environmental medicine update last week was arsenic and bisphenols. Uh-huh. So I think everybody's aware now that bisphenol A is a big problem and people are demanding bisphenol A free plastics. And so the good news is that if you look at the bisphenol A levels in the general population, they decrease about 50%. Now that's good news because bisphenol A uh, causes many problems. One of them is it's an obesogen. So higher person's bisphenol A levels, the more obese they are. But the problem is they're being replaced by other bisphenols like bisphenol A, bisphenol AF, bisphenol S, bisphenol Z, okay? Well, guess what? They're actually more toxic. <laughs> and in particular, if there's any men out there who have problems with fertility, these bisphenols concentrate in the testes and cause infertility. So, that, so we talk about things like osteoporosis. I now have a lecture just on infertility being caused by environmental toxins. We have an infertility epidemic as well, where young men and women are not able to produce babies anymore because we're poisoning our reproductive systems. It makes me think, is Mother Nature saying to us, are we a failed experiment? Do we put too much poison into our environment? And we talk about then we have all these diseases, <laughs> one osteoporosis being just one of them, but all these other diseases as well. May, may Mother Nature saying, well, I'm not so sure if this experiment in humans worked or not. Well, if we can't reproduce, it won't work, that's for sure. <laughs> now, let's talk about some of the um, most important minerals in the body. Um, of course, calcium is one of the ones that's been around for a long time. There's, there's so many other awesome ones I want you to talk about. Like, uh, remember, your paper on boron, Lara, is just amazing. So I want to definitely touch base with that before we run out of time at the top of the hour. And silicon is good. And then the you know, the controversies around strontium. So we laid it out there for you. So let's talk about calcium because that's probably the most misunderstood one. Um, okay. Well, cal- it's calcium, um, as you know, is really important. And particularly um, as we get older, well, we need maybe a little more calcium even than we did when we were younger to maintain um, the recommended amount for women, you know, postmenopausal women, um, is 12 to as much as 1,500 milligrams of calcium daily. And we are not getting that um, from the diet. The way that people eat, the average amount of calcium that is consumed by postmenopausal women is about tops, 600, <clears throat> excuse me, 600 milligrams a day. So that's a shortfall of at least 600 milligrams. Um, and you can't, you know, calcium is used for lots of things in the body, for our nervous system, for our muscles to contract, uh, for things like our heart to beat. You know, that's a big muscle and it needs calcium to contract properly. Um, so what happens is that uh, the calcium that is consumed, if it's not enough, it's going to go to things that are going to keep you alive, like keeping your heart beating. And it will be actually withdrawn from your bones to keep those things working for you so that you don't drop dead. 
Um, you know, it takes a lot longer to drop dead from bone loss than it does from having your heart stop. So that's how the body works. It'll triage and the calcium that you consume, if it's inadequate, is going to go to keeping your heart functioning um, and not, and, and it will be actually pulled out of your bones to make that happen. So uh, people are not getting enough calcium. Many people are not getting enough calcium. And I recommend um, in my, in the book, we provided a table that lists the, you know, the best food sources of calcium with amounts of a serving. And so you can very easily, if you just write down what you eat for two or three days, you can very quickly and easily get a good estimate of how much calcium your diet is providing for you. Um, and then supplement the, the remaining amounts. So you're consuming at least 1200 milligrams a day. Now it's important to get uh, calcium from, there's a loaded question, dairy. <laughs> You, you, you kind of lay out dairy. So that, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, that depends. Yeah, no, that, that depends. Um, dairy, uh, two things about dairy. Uh, if you are reactive, if you are, you know, if you react to the proteins in dairy, caffeine, if that is, causes a, an immune activation for you, then you do not want to consume dairy. Right. Anything that increases inflammation, that chronically makes you inflamed, is going to activate osteoclasts, those cells that break down bone. So if you're chronically inflamed, you're going to be chronically telling your osteoclasts, work more, work more, okay? And because when, they, when osteoclasts break down bone, they're liberating calcium. And calcium is anti-inflammatory in, in, through many mechanisms. So you, um, trying to figure out how to end this quickly. So I wanted, um, I wanted to ask you about different types of calcium so you have i remember um actually i think in joe's class talking about you know you can take limestone calcium from the cliffs of dover and use that or you could or chalk that we would because in the old days remember joe there was no computers we used to write on the board and <laughs> yeah. use yeah. and things like that but yeah those are like those that. are not your best options for calcium you really want to get plant Calcium either from plant foods that you eat. You know, there are many foods, plants that are rich in calcium, many vegetables. Um, or if you're going to take a supplement, you want to get a supplement that provides you with plant-derived calcium. And the reason for this is that in a plant, it's not just calcium that's present. There are trace minerals that work with calcium that you need that are present. And if you just take calcium that's been derived from a rock, it's not going to have those. Right. So you really are much better off getting calcium either directly from plants, um, organically grown plants that have the trace minerals as well as the calcium, or you want to take a supplement that provides plant-derived calcium. Yeah, because there's been a resurgence in people using bone broth. I mean, patients come in, I'm using, I'm making bone broth today, blah, 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 you know, and, um, oh, yeah, I really do not recommend bone broth. And here's the reason why. Right. When we are exposed to toxins, this is really Joe's area, and he may want to jump in. But when we're exposed to, to toxins, one of the things that we try to do to protect ourselves is we stash those heavy metals in our bones. We sequester them there. Okay. We're not the only species that does that. So do chickens. So do cows. Right. So the, you soak that 
those bones in broth and guess what's coming out? It's not just good stuff. And then you consume lots of that. So you're actually ingesting extra doses of heavy metals, which will be hurtful for you. I can add to that uh, a bit as well. Sure. Um, So if you look at where does the body store the mercury and the lead? Okay, so it stores about 90% of the lead and 90% of the mercury are in the bone. So when people go through menopause and andropause and start losing bone, guess what? The blood levels go up. So clearly, uh, we don't want our bones to be full of lead and mercury. But even worse, we don't want those bones to dissolve and release all that lead and mercury into the circulation and poison all our physiological functions. There has been research documenting um, even organic you know, uh, bones from organically fed chickens, free-range organic chickens, had lead levels higher than, you know, is is, uh, considered safe, which is in the United States, uh, what's considered safe exposure to toxins is quite a bit higher than many other places um, in the world. And those chicken bones from organically raised chickens had more lead in them than was considered safe in the U.S. in a serving. Wow. So I, I do not recommend bone broth. Okay, that's great news. I think that I look forward to sharing that with lots of patients. Tell us about boron. I remember you wrote a great paper, Lara, about boron. Yeah, my uh, favorite, my favorite mineral. Yeah. As, as the my the title of my paper was, "There's nothing boring about boron." Exactly. And, that's um, what my eye. <laughs> yeah, it's now had. It's now been read internationally, um, as well as in the U.S., by well over 3,000 clinicians. And I regularly hear from people, um, you know, using it, using the information. Boron is such a fabulous mineral. Um, It it helps us, especially as we age, it helps us to retain and use the hormones that we produce far longer. Um, in a healthful way, okay? It's, I mean, boron is so protective that it's actually used in medications to treat cancers, uh, breast cancer, for instance. So it's not keeping hormones around that we don't want, but it is uh, allowing us to use our estrogen and for men, testosterone, okay, longer because it, it slows down the, um, there's an enzyme called 24-hydroxylase and it is responsible for helping us uh, clear out hormones that have been in the system for a little bit. And boron helps slow the activity of that enzyme. So the end result is you, you keep your estrogen around a little bit longer, you keep your testosterone around a little bit longer. Um, that really helps with bone. I mean, men, men need a, little, a tiny little bit of estrogen to maintain their bones. And women certainly need estrogen to maintain healthy bones. So that's, that's one of the things that boron does. Um, I think that's probably my favorite thing that boron does in terms of bone health. Yeah, you, you had even said, I remember reading that it increases glutathione production, which I didn't know when, until I read your paper. So that was really interesting. And that's one of the most important antioxidants in our bodies, one of our endogenous antioxidants, which would be important, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Joe, to help detoxify people when raising glutathione levels. Yes. Um, if people want one um, point or one recommendation on how to 
protect themselves from toxins and optimize their healthy longevity, it's to raise their glutathione levels. And you do that by one, decreasing toxin loads. You have to deplete the glutathione as much. But the other way, way is by increasing uh, glutathione levels in the body. And it turns out that uh, whey protein and N-acetylcysteine are very effective at increasing glutathione levels. And that helps so many different aspects, not, not just detoxification, but also very important for the mitochondria. Because as you know, the mitochondria produce all the energy for the body. And glutathione is absolutely critical for protecting the mitochondria from oxidative stress as they produce all that energy. So silicon is an interesting mineral that's not given a lot of attention, but yet it's found in like all root vegetables and anything that grows in the soil. I know in Chinese medicine, they use bamboo sap for osteoporosis. If you think about how bamboos are so flexible yet so tough, it's kind of interesting. And I found out that one of the active ingredients in bamboo sap was silicon. So I, what, what about that mineral? Interesting. So um, what you need to be aware of in terms of silicon and the, you know, how to get uh, in, increase your consumption of silicon in your diet is that silicon is not bioavailable unless it is in the form of orthosilicic acid, which means that it's in, uh, it's in uh, like water. Um, so the men listening may be very happy to hear this. The absolute best source of bioavailable silicon on, in the, on the planet is beer. It's extremely rich in silicon. So they, there are um, a number of vegetables that contain silicon, but it's very poorly bioavailable. It, it has to be in the form of orthosilicic acid. Interesting. Okay. And how about strontium? That's I know that's a drug in Japan, but that has a dark history, that drug, and that there's a difference between that type of strontium and the naturally occurring strontium that you find, um, you know, in sort of trace minerals and things like that. Right. And uh, that the, the drug form of strontium, um, it's very sad what happened with this. The drug company that decided to make a strontium product for bone health, and they spent, you know, many, many, many millions of dollars doing that. Uh, I really wish they had just combined strontium ions with a, a stabilizing partner that wasn't a toxin. Okay, so they, the drug company to be able to patent the natural mineral, had to combine it with a never ever before seen in nature, um, and never will be seen in nature, compound and they chose a compound called ranoleic acid that was supposed to not do anything in the body and just be excreted uh, pretty quickly. And we have since learned that that is definitely not what's happening. And it's a toxin. It's, um, it's, it has similar construction to, you know, benzene and a lot and other, some other aromatic toxins. And so the ranoleic acid portion of the drug um, has caused blood clots, you know, um, deep, deep uh, DVT, you know, uh, deep vein blood clots and uh, these horrible rashes that are, that kill people, Stevens uh, Johnson syndrome and a bunch of other, so many other horrible side effects, but the actual strontium ion is not what's responsible for that. It's the, it's the companion that the drug company combined strontium with so that they were able to patent it. The natural forms of strontium, like strontium citrate, and, and there's, a, there's a 
Strontium citrate is probably the most available natural form that you'd be able to get as a supplement. But there are some other forms as well. And none of the natural forms of strontium have ever been shown in more than 100 years of research. And trust me, I've, I've looked. I've looked at it um, to cause any problems, any kind of problems for anybody. Uh, the only research that found that a natural, you know, natural strontium uh, could be potentially problematic was done in Turkey in an area where the strontium level in the soil is very high. And they also consume no calcium or very, very low amounts of calcium there. And they found that in uh, very young children, um, they developed rickets or a ricket-like condition because they weren't getting any calcium and they were only getting strontium, which is absorbed into bones similarly to calcium. So strontium is, and then what the prescription for that was, was calcium supplements. So if you're going to use strontium to help you uh, renew your bones and maintain healthy bones, um, I, I certainly do. If you're going to do that, it's just extremely important that you consume half as much strontium as calcium because strontium and calcium compete for absorption. And calcium will always win. Your body will always preferentially absorb calcium over strontium. So you, if you're going to take it, you need to take, the, take them at separate times of the day, or you'll get no benefit from the strontium whatsoever. It'll simply be eliminated. But right. if you do that, um, it, strontium is an extreme, it does, it helps rebuild bone through so many mechanisms that it, it's truly a, a rock star, uh, so to speak. Sure. Um, it, um, yeah, I, I mean, we don't have enough time for me today. To, I couldn't, I could spend the whole hour telling you about all the ways that strontium both boosts osteoblast bone building activity and lowers uh, osteoclast bone resorbing activity. Uh, there's even a calcium sensing receptor on our cells that only reacts to strontium. So it helps you absorb calcium. Well, that's why they got to read the book. That's for sure. That's why <laughs> the book, when you look at it, you can see you're doing yoga. That's awesome. There's actually special yoga postures, postures that help with the bones. Yeah, a, a doctor who's become a, a good friend of mine, um, his name is uh, Fishman, Lauren Fishman. He is at Columbia, and he became very interested in the use of yoga to help rebuild bone and to protect against osteoporosis. And he teaches, he now goes around, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> he now goes around the country and he teaches uh, clinicians um, or exercise people who are yoga people um, how to practice the, the specific yoga poses that he has found and confirmed in research actually help rebuild bone. Um, there's a series of about 12 exercises. To, would take about a half an hour. When, you know, once you've learned how to do them properly, it would only take about a half an hour to do them uh, daily. And they really rebuild bone. And so I want, I, I've, I've taken his training and um, I wanted to report on that in the book because it's something that people can do basically at no cost in your own home, at your own convenience, <clears throat> whenever you can fit it in during your day. And it's actually relaxing. So, um, and you can rebuild bone. Yeah, it's interesting because it's very different from what, you know, we, we've read with, uh, you know, what NASA discovered what, when people were doing whole body vibration therapy that they found that the astronauts were losing a lot of bone in space and that it's that 
kind of banging uh, in on the floor when you're jumping jack or doing something like that that creates some type of a stressor and maybe even a piezoelectric effect I've read through the body, like an electromedicine type of deal that then remodels the bone there. They, they kind of remodel to the forces. So you get a pair of old Keds that don't have um, good shock absorbing capability and you you just kind of walk hard or whatever like that and create that stress. But yoga doesn't have that and yet it still works. So I thought that it's, was- it's, it's far safer. safer. Yeah. People with fragile, you know, who've lost bone in their spine really don't want to be jumping up and down and smacking themselves. I, no, I do no, not no. Re- recommend that. Um, your chance of a compression fracture is just unacceptable. So, and there are so many safe, you know, pleasant ways. I mean, why traumatize yourself? You can do yoga, you can do Pilates. Uh, there's another type of exercise, that, which is my favorite. It's called bar three. Um, it's also available, you know, on videos online. You can do live classes um, on your television set online. And it combines yoga, Pilates, and uh, ballet exercises. And it really builds bone. Yeah. And you feel graceful, and it helps your posture, and it's relaxing, and it's fun, you know. Like Why it. jump up and down and smack yourself? That just sounds masochistic well, and dangerous. Or do teeth chattering, shaking things on on those whole body uh, old body vibration devices? Though, yeah, but there there is no research showing that that's effective, and there are some forms of it out now that you know people are paying a lot of money to go once a week and get shaken, and it is not helpful. Um, I now work with that's what NASA did a lot of work with that and and showed that that was that was helpful for the astronauts. You're saying that that's not the case. No, um, we, we're not like astronauts. We're not in space. Okay. So, I mean, if you have absolutely no gravitational effect, um, doing that might help a little bit. But on Earth, in the real world, it's not going to do much. Uh-huh. You'd be much better just going out and taking a walk. Okay. Or doing yoga, you know, or bar three or Pilates, or dancing around your house. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the main thing is people need to find something they enjoy doing and do it for an hour. Every day, not 20 minutes once a week. You're, so what happens when you exercise is you can contract your muscles and the muscles put stress on your bones. And there are cells in your bones called osteocytes. Actually, osteocytes are the most abundant type of cell in bone. There, there's hundreds of thousands of them in your bones. And when they get activated, they initiate the bone renewal, the whole bone rebuilding process. They, they crank it up. They, they, it's, it's their mechanosensors. And they recognize that your bone is being stressed. And stresses on bone can cause very, very tiny little microfractures. And your body doesn't want that. Your body, when that happens, your body says, wait a minute. I got to get in there and, and rebuild that. So those tiny little fractures don't become big ones. So exercise stimulates osteocytes. And osteocytes stimulate the bone renewal process. That, that's why exercise is so important for us, right. for bone. So many modern factors from food to toxins, to too little exercise, put us, puts us at risk for osteoporosis. Because we're running out of time, we have about three minutes left in the show. How would you suggest readers prioritize your recommendations in your book, Healthy Bone, 
Healthy You, and also tell us where we can get copies of that and get in contact with you if, if that's okay. Sure. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, the best thing would be to just scan it. Like the, the opening chapters in the book are provide an introduction. They tell you how to get the most out of the book. Uh, most people have a pretty good idea about what might be off for them that is promoting bone loss. And they can just read those sections. Or, you know, we, we really tried to make the book um, fun to read. You know, it's not just dry science. We tried to make it entertaining. And you can just read a little bit at a time. Um, or you can go through and scan it, go to the lab section and try to look at which labs you think could give you the best information um, that might be the most helpful for you about what might be causing bone loss. Um, I, outside of that, I'm, I'm not sure. I've just, yeah, well, that, that's, good. that's good advice. Yeah, the lab section was very interesting. I wish we had more time, but yeah, because it's a good way to look at your, if your collagen's breaking down or look if you have a toxic load or kind of look at the different combinations of permutations that we discussed today and which, because I think every case is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a few factors that are different which is why naturopathic medicine is very much based on looking at the individual. Am I right, Dr. Pizzorno? We kind of look at the individual. Yes. And then Diagnose first, <laughs> then treat. That's true. Right. mantra. Yes. So I tell people, do the foundation things. Eat healthy food. And then use biochemistry to optimize your physiological function. Don't take vitamins to and think it's going to replace a bad diet. You've got to have a healthy diet of organic food. Yes. Well, thanks so much for getting up early out there in, in uh, the Northwest and being with us. We really appreciate your time and expertise, and we recommend the book Healthy Bone, Healthy You to pick up a, a lot of different factors that, that we didn't talk about, like protein and lab tests, and then maybe how to get rid of the environmental toxins. You can look at some of Dr. Pizzorno's other books on how to do that. Uh, go see a go see your naturopathic physician. I think that's really important, so they can give you good advice and good knowledge about how to live healthy and and live optimally. So, is there any last thoughts before we sign off in the last minute? Uh, people can get the book on Amazon. I think the paperback version is finally out now, or it will be within the week. Um, it's available as Kindle now. And, um, and I just want to thank you for a really great interview. You obviously looked at the book and, um, and asked I, really great questions. Thanks so much. Very welcome. Well, I, when I teach in, in some of my courses, I teach osteoporosis and, and have looked at the holistic model. And your book could certainly be a textbook. And I'm going to recommend my students get copies for it and tell their their uh, patients to get copies too. So thanks so much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you guys at a conference one day and hanging out. Yeah. Great, great Take care. Okay. Okay. Thanks for your great work. Yeah, yeah keep up Thank the good you. work. Okay. And that does it for another edition of The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. We hope that you stay healthy. Bye for now. Take care.